0: any special song and go straight to the preaching, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, start reading to you in verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It means to brag or boast. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I want to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord on a message entitled, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. If we could have... Reverend two weeks, sir, please pray over our messenger, messenger tonight. Our Father, we thank you tonight, God, for the opportunity to hear your word. We ask that Jehovah Pastor in Devonshire, as ministers, speak to us tonight. Pray for that one that does not know you today. We want to know you this we ask in Christ. Amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Again, I do hope we get a chance to see you tomorrow and wish you a Merry Christmas in our morning service. There'll be no evening service tomorrow, so you got one chance tomorrow, get here at 11 a.m., and uh, we look forward to that, uh, so do do come. Merry Christmas if we don't see you. Sometimes they tease. There's folks that like to come to church on Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day, and they call them CME Christians, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, and one man said on on Christmas, he goes ahead and And wishes them a a happy 4th of July and everything else because you know he's not going to see them until next Christmas. Now I know that's not you because you're here tonight. Amen? Amen. But we're glad you're here. When we were in the Philippines, one of the things that struck me was how great wealth could be right next to great poverty. It was not unusual to see a huge mansion And then right next to the mansion, you see a hut, a shack, put together with various things you could find on the side of the road. Now, we sometimes see that in America, but a lot of times there are areas that are are zoned, and they're zoned with a purpose to try to keep that area a certain way. But there, it was jarring. You could see people, it looked like they used money To blow their nose. They had so much of it. Right next to people, it seemed like they were struggling just to get food for the day. And so I thought about that as I was reading through and preparing the message tonight. Because though I didn't read from the Luke section that we've been preaching from in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, you find that same jarring juxtaposition, the incredible, extraordinary God. And for a minute, the heavens are pulled back and we see in heaven Jesus saying, now hast prepared a body for me and and I will go. And, And we see the angels singing and we imagine God the Father in heaven smiling. I was getting ready to ask you. A little earlier. Sometimes I take my glasses off. That's good. I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning at me. Amen. But I was getting ready to ask you a little earlier to smile. I said, well, I'll hold off on it. But can you picture for just a minute, God in heaven smiling because Jesus was coming to the earth. The angels singing. Everybody in heaven. It was an extraordinary moment. And then that is set right next to the most ordinary of people. Carpenter and his wife, lower middle class or upper, lower class, however you want to say it, traveling to pay taxes. a bunch of smelly shepherds on the hillside. Next to, some guys working at an inn. Next to, some people who were just traveling through. So when we look at it, it's jarring. The creator, the savior, the healer, the peace giver. Surrounded by those that were needy and hungry, sinful and sick. And then in this setting, to see the God of the universe use the most ordinary people to help announce his coming. I mean, you think about it. If it was down here on this earth, then there was going to be perhaps uh, uh, the president's Daughter or granddaughter was going to give birth. and Man, it would make news. People would announce it. Uh, you, can, uh, you can get the picture when one of the royals in England gets married. It becomes a worldwide event. People tune in to watch these people uh, get married. And, and all of the, the pump and all of the, the royalty and the music and the special clothes and the, and the pride that's there. But that's not how God did it. God didn't choose the great trumpeters and, and the well-dressed soldiers. and He didn't choose the smartest man in the world because if he would have chosen some super intellectual, man may have looked at the man instead of the message. If he would have chosen some great beauty, she may have eclipsed the greatest baby. If he would have chosen... The strongest man to point the way. They may have missed the way, the truth, and the life. And so God takes this extraordinary, once in an eternity occasion. God in the flesh being born. And he uses the most ordinary people to announce it. I like that. You see... The extraordinary and the ordinary are set side by side. God shines in the darkness. We read to you in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in so many words, God was, was getting ready to say, I didn't chose the, the mighty, the noble, and the strong. I didn't do that because I did not want man to steal my glory. And so the Bible said he chose the foolish. Does that make you feel good? <laughs> He chose the simple ones. He chose us. You see, God shines in the darkness. His coming was celebrated and is celebrated for centuries and years to come. And that principle that God uses the ordinary, that kind of gives me hope. You see, oh, I've got some weights in my garage. But no matter how much weightlifting I do, I'm not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I have a a basketball hoop in my backyard. I haven't thrown a ball at it yet, but hopefully I will. But no matter how much basketball, I don't think the NBA is going to come signing me for a $50 million a year contract. If they did, I wouldn't take it. Amen. (laughs) I got a more important job here. Amen. You see... God wasn't looking. He doesn't look for a muscle-bound man or someone with great skill. God says, I need not a muscle-bound man or a dunking dude, but give me a foolish one, a simple person, one that will open up their mouth and lift up the name of Jesus. Now, I like that because you know what? We all qualify. And if we needed a Ph.D. or a doctorate behind our name, we might all have to walk away shaking our head. And if we needed $100,000 in the bank or a million in the bank or if we needed a certain uh, uh, um, credit score or a certain uh, uh, IQ, uh, what do they call it, IQ score? What's the word? IQ score? Okay. See, that's a low IQ. No, not really. If we needed a certain IQ score or a certain credit score, maybe not all of us would qualify. God says, I'm not after your strength, your ability, your intellect. I'm after your availability. Now that does two things. First, that opens up the pool to all of us. And secondly, it doesn't give any of us an excuse. He's calling you. He's calling you. When I was in the Army are once you go through basic training and you learn the first eight weeks or whatever it was of how to run and fire a weapon and take commands, then you go to the second section. It's called your advanced individual training, AIT. And that's where you learned your job. Well, when we were in our AIT, we had a guy that was not very smart. He seemed to maybe have had some problems. But... We were given a very wise drill instructor, and the drill instructor told us, hey, listen, we're getting ready to be inspected by the, the colonel, and the colonel and the captain are going to come down, and, the, and they have this little thing, they, they do this thing, they turn, and they take a step, and they, then they turn in front of you again, and they inspect you, and they may ask you a question, and then they turn and take a step, and they go to the next soldier, and they go down the whole line. And the the drill instructor told us, hey, listen, there's a secret. If you sound off and you're motivated, he may not ask you any questions. And so, what I want you to do is, I want you to yell with everything you got when he asks you something. And so, there we were. And the captain and the colonel, I mean, they were just going down there. They were sharp, doing the turns and cutting in front of you. And then they look at you, and their stuff is all perfect. And you try to get your stuff perfect, but you're new at it, so it's not perfect. And they get in front of us and they ask the one guy a question. The guy sounded out, yes, Sergeant, or yes, sir, whatever he said. And he asked another one. But then they got to my buddy, D Hart. And when they got to D Hart and they asked him a question, remember, this guy was not the smartest, uh, sharpest tool in the shed. But it seemed like he sucked the air in a tri state area. <laughs> And he answered. It was like he blew the face, the skin off of this colonel in front of him so loud. I, I mean, it made me kind of chuckle. I was to the side. But it was so loud. I could almost picture that old Memorex thing. Is it live or Memorex? Like he was just blowing him back. But it worked because the colonel twisted and he went to the next guy without asking him anything. And that's exactly what the drill sergeant wanted. Now, DeHart might not have been the smartest guy. But he was smart enough to do what he was told. Now, isn't that great? Because God doesn't ask us to create our own gospel. And God doesn't ask us to make our own way to heaven. How would we get there? And God doesn't teach us and, and show us how that we're supposed to earn our way to our salvation. But he does give us such basic instructions and said if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will believe in your heart that God has risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He was saying if you'll just confess and admit the fact, yes, I've done wrong. Now here's the thing. The older you get in life, the more you realize... There's a lot of people that are just faking it. They pretend like they know so much, or they pretend like they have it all put together. And the more you get around them, the more you understand they don't have it put together as much as I thought they did. They've got problems in their life just like I do. They have struggles just like everybody else. Amen? Amen? And so... You look at that, and you begin to say, well, there are no perfect people. That guy, I thought he had it all put together, and now I see he's got wrinkles in his robe of righteousness. And that lady, I thought she was quite the woman, but now I find out she has horns underneath her little hairpiece, amen. <laughs> she wears it strategically to keep them covered, amen. Long dress to cover the tail, amen. <laughs> <So it laughs> Anyhow. Have any of you ever read the biblical story of the little drummer boy? I tricked you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. It's not really a biblical story. Now, we've all heard the story. And the story in the song says this little boy with the drum came, and he didn't have anything to offer. It's not really in the Bible, but it's a good story. And so what did he do? He said, well, I'll play my drum for him. Other people were offering their gold and their frankincense and everything else, and the little boy hadn't had, didn't have anything except that one little skill. And so he said, I played my best for him. You're already saying it in your mind, aren't you? Pum 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 amen. <laughs> and the song is just kind of touching because you 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 have compassion on the father. He didn't have anything, but what he had, he gave. You know, sometimes we withhold what we have because we don't think it's very much. But I want to tell you that everything we have put together, it makes a difference. Now, you may have great singing ability. Use it. There may some be somebody else who has great speaking ability. Use it. There may be somebody else that has the talent to make money. Use it. It's not wrong to make money. Andrew Carnegie, who was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Scotland originally, but in the, in the Pennsylvania area where I'm from. But when he died, they found a note that he had written in his, um, his desk. And the note says, the first half of my life, I'm going to work to make money. And the second half of my life, I'm going to give it away. Now, the first half of his life, he was wildly successful. And the second half of his life, he gave it away. And many of the libraries around our country were because of him. So he had a talent. His talent wasn't to sing. It wasn't to play an instrument. It wasn't to speak. His talent was to make money. And he used it. And then he used the results of that to help others. If, you, if I can't sing, I can serve. If I can't speak, I can clean. If I don't have a, the ability to make a lot of money, I can vacuum or run a computer. I can play an instrument or I can learn to play one. Let me do it like that little drummer boy. I played my best for him. pa bum pum amen? Let me do it with all of my heart for the Lord. Now, here's the next point. Ordinary people, extraordinary God. I read it recently. It said, this week when you go to visit somebody at their house, make sure, make sure that you compliment their baseboards. Because right now, that's what they're cleaning. Everybody going around the house, cleaning every little baseboard, thinking everybody's going to look at them. But And no doubt there'll be houses that you go to this week and it'll be spick and span. Everything is just absolutely perfect. And you'll walk in and go, wow, look at the decorations and, and look at this food is so great. And man, this is awesome. And you'll party and you might spill some cranberry sauce and some and some peanuts and uh, whatever else, and later on you'll find out that some of the kids uh, kind of uh, got some of that pecan pie uh, smushed into the carpet. And when everybody's gone, you'll look around and say, oh, my goodness. And there'll be trash to take out, a carpet to clean, a refrigerator to, to get all the leftovers out of. There'll be... Uh, things that you have to do all over again. When the party's over and the guests are gone, the music is turned down, the mess remains. Someone has got to throw out the trash, put it all back together, admit my life isn't always perfect. I need help. That's why the coming of Christ is so special to me. Because I'm going to tell you right now, though I'm your pastor, man, my life's not perfect. I need help. Someone said to me recently, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I said, please do. I need it. Now, I'm not not meaning that I'm getting ready to quit God or or go back to the world or things like that. No, no, no. But we all face the struggles of life. We all face the the, uh, paying the bills and taking care of the family and having to do the maintenance and, and juggling all the responsibilities of life. Amen. Here's the truth. Ordinary people can be messed up, amen. Can someone give me a truthful amen? And Though you might put out your best when nobody else is is around and you're in your house coat and it's 4 o'clock and the bed's not made and you're having corn pops for dinner, amen. (laughs) Amen. Ordinary people are messed up. That's why the coming of Christ is so special. I can say, God, I need your help. He didn't come just for the PhDs. He didn't come just for the the strongest of the strong or the the, uh, most beautiful or the most intellectual. I need help. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better brother, a better Christian, a better pastor. The coming of Christ gives me hope that I can get better. Now we're getting ready. We're at the end of the year. Hopefully you've been reading along with our Bible reading. So we've got just, what, a week to go before we finish our Bible reading. And then we'll start again. And if you've read along with us through the year, you'll find that many of the messages we preach come from the Bible reading. And if you read recently, you read where the priest went into the tabernacle. And it had been been left and filled with all kinds of garbage. But a new king had come. And he said to the priest, I need you to go in and clean it out. And it took eight days carting all the trash out and, and getting it all sanctified. And then the, pre, uh, the, the, the king came in and they, they sanctified it and they had a, a, a feast. And the Bible said this. He said, the thing was done suddenly. And I saw that. It gave me great hope. Because sometimes it just seems like our life just gets filled up with junk. Amen all kinds of stuff that just gets uh, thrown in there and not put away and, and then there comes a time where you have to say, I just got to get rid of this stuff and you begin carting it out and getting rid of it and then suddenly you're having a, a your, your life is sanctified again and you can say, man, this thing was done suddenly. Sometimes it, thinks, it seems like it's going to take forever to change. Sometimes it seems as if it, it's going to take months and months for there to be a turnaround, but God can turn it around tonight. God can bring a great change right now. God can do something in just a moment's time whenever we're ready for God to change us. He gives me hope that I can change. He says, I'm worth coming to this earth and dying for. He says, He's not through with me yet. I have been through with me. I've looked at it and said, Man, What in the world's going on? But God just says, keep on going. Keep on going. He's not through with me yet. Amen. Finally, last point. We preached to you last week about those two waiting ones, Simeon and Anna, how they were waiting for the consolation. We shared with you that that word consolation meant, same word for comforter. It was the comfort that the comforter gives. And so he was really waiting for that Holy Spirit to come. And when Simeon got there and he held the Christ child up and he said, now let thy servant depart in peace. It was as if his heart was beating for his nation, as if his heart was beating for his city. What's going to happen if the Savior doesn't come? What's going to happen if there's not someone to turn this thing around? And so when he saw Jesus come, he said, now let thy servant depart in peace. I know he's going to turn it around. Can you picture? I had a good, I'm getting ready. We're going to sing that song too. I'm getting ready just a little bit to stop. Come on, musicians. Reverend Tua, get ready to come lead the altar call. I had a good family, so when I joined the Army, I was really 17, turned 18 in basic training. When I left, my mom and dad... Got in the car with the recruiter. Man, there were tears just streaming down my face. Love mom and dad, still love them. They were good folks to me. It's hard leaving home. It's hard for me, but then later on my dad said that it was hard for him. Going through that empty nest type deal when it's all said and done. And I thought about that. And what happens when your son, my son's getting there a couple more years, he'll be off in Bible college, wherever God takes him. And there's that, that recognition, I can't hold him anymore. I can't watch over him anymore. I can't do everything for him anymore. I need him to have Christ on the inside. So that I can say like Simeon, now let thy servant depart in peace do, do you ever look around at the world and say, man, this world's a mess? Do you ever feel this? Now, be honest. Do you ever feel, I can't wait to just die and get out of this place. Because it's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm, I've felt that way. And then I stop and say, but wait a second. I got a son. He's got a lot more years beforehand. I can't stop yet. I got to fight with everything I've got to, to turn this thing around. To try to keep it in the right lane, to try to give my son a culture, a city, a church, but still serving God. Simeon said, Now let thy servant depart in peace. Why? Because now he knew Jesus had come. Everything's going to be all right. Are you struggling tonight? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Reverend's getting ready to come. Are you struggling tonight? Pastor, I I don't even know. Sometimes it's so rough. What's going to happen? Seems like I'm not sure if we're going to make it. That same God, this one, he can turn it around tonight.